Morning, church. How are you doing? Hey, good morning. So it is my pleasure to be speaking this morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Danny Tao, and I am one of the proud members of the church, the partners. We, I did, we did the same thing several years ago. We loved it. And um, this morning, I've got a really great word for us, and I want to start by asking one, everyone a really serious question, all right? Show of hands. How many people here love to eat good food? This is really important. How many people here, show of hands, come from a culture where eating good food is really important? Yeah? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I'm Chinese American, and in Chinese culture, eating good food is really important. And I love to eat good food. In fact, I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell you how I grew up. Because uh, when I grew up, as I was growing up, we would leave for home and school in the morning. And my grandmother, who uh, didn't live with us but lived close by, she would come over to our house. And at the point where she got to our home, until dinner time, she spent the entire day cooking dinner. She was definitely old school, right? This was her whole identity was how to feed her family. She didn't do any other chores. She just cooked the entire day. And so when I got home from school, we'd have this awesome um, after-school snack, which was really just a little bit of dinner, and then we would have dinner, which would be five, six, seven different Chinese dishes all laid out. No kidding. This is the way I ate Monday through Friday, every single day of the week. This is how I grew up. And I could not understand all my American friends when they were complaining about the food that they had in their home. You know, they say, oh, it's so gross. You know, every day we've got a brown thing, a white thing, and a green thing, you know? <laughs> and especially vegetables. I hate vegetables. I had no idea why. And then one day my friend invited me over to his home, and they plopped the, the dish down, and there was the brown thing, the white thing, and the green thing. And I tasted the green thing, and it was disgusting. It was mushy and bland. I said, what is this? And he said, vegetables. I said, what? This, this can't be vegetables. What kind of vegetable is it? I've never seen it. String beans. And up until that point, I'd never seen cut string beans that were either canned or frozen, and they just boiled it until it became a, a mush, and they put it on the plate. And I said, I feel you now, man. I feel you. <laughs> I get now why you don't like vegetables, because this did not look anything like the string beans that my, my, mom, my grandmother cooked, you know, fresh string beans, stir-fried with meat, sauce over rice. It was awesome, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who wants to go out to lunch afterwards? <laughs> and so, suffice to say, I grew up eating very well. Now, I tell you all this because I've got another story for you. So this is context. You have to understand how I grew up to really fully appreciate this next story, all right? So several years ago, uh, we were in our previous church, and Deidre, the kids, and I, uh, we had to go to our church denominations regional conference. Every other year, our church denomination they um, would hold a conference. Everyone, all the churches from the Northeast would come. So a lot of churches, many, many people would come. And so we were going to go. We're going to make a vacation out of it. And it was going to be held 
in the Poconos. And uh, how many people know where the Poconos are? Okay, yeah. So the Poconos are these mountains in this rural part of Pennsylvania. Very beautiful. But as I was doing research about this area, I realized that I was not going to enjoy this vacation. Because as I was looking around online, I saw that the restaurants that were there were like diners, chain restaurants, what I would call subpar American food, right? <laughs> and this was not my idea of a good vacation. Maybe you guys can relate. This is a good vacation. You're at an amazing restaurant. You're eating amazing food. And what are you doing? You're talking about your next meal, right? <laughs> so at lunch, you're eating this amazing lunch. You're stuffed. What are you talking about? So you're so excited talking about it. What are we going to have for dinner? Where are we going to go? What are we going to eat? All the different things we're going to eat. What are we going to drink at dinner? What are we going to have for breakfast? At breakfast, we're going for lunch. At lunch, we're going for dinner, right? And it's the whole cycle continues the entire week. That's an awesome vacation. Amen? <laughs> that was not what this was going to be. So, you know, just as I expected, we get there, and the first meal comes out, and it's kind of, and I start complaining about the food to Deidre, and she, she knows when I complain about food. So I start complaining about the food, and um, and the second meal comes out. Oh, and it tastes even worse, and I start complaining about that. Then the third meal comes out, and it's worse, and it gets so bad that the food is inedible by the end of the week. And at the end of the week, I looked back, and I said, you know what? I had a terrible vacation, and even though I'm sure there were some great speakers, and God was working really mightily, I, I couldn't receive anything, right, <laughs> because the food was so bad. <clears throat> That's how bad the food was, and I complained the entire time about it. Well, two years later, we have our church denomination retreat again, and usually it's in a different location, but guess where they want to do it this year? The Poconos! I can't believe it. I don't know. What is it about the Poconos? White people like Poconos. I don't know why. And so we're off to the Poconos again. And, and this time I say, you know what? I, I, I can't do this. I've got to have a better attitude. So I'm going to resolve that I'm going to be grateful for all the food as opposed to complaining about all the food. So the first dish comes out, and it's like, eh, it's okay, <laughs> you know. But I'm resolved. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. So I'm thinking, okay, God, help me to be grateful. Thank you, God, for French fries. Yes, <laughs> French fries is good. Thank you for French fries. And I think, okay, I can do better than that. Thank you, God, for ketchup. Ketchup's awesome. In fact, how many people believe that God invented French fries just as an excuse to eat ketchup, right? <laughs> ketchup's awesome. All right. So the next meal comes. I'm kind of feeling like my gratitude is growing a little bit. Thank you, God, that everyone in our family can actually enjoy something at this restaurant, right? Because back then, our kids are young. It's no guarantee your kids are going to like the food, right? Actually, back then, there was no guarantee I was going to like the food, but there you have it. So thank you, God, that we can all enjoy the food. And then little by little, with each meal, the gratitude's growing, and it kind of starts to spread. Thank you, God, that we're actually away in a really beautiful place on vacation. Thank you, God, that there's some amazing speakers here. Thank you, God, that God is really working in my life. He really spoke to me, you know, and it kind of grew and grew. And by the end of the week, I had a great vacation, and I actually even enjoyed some of the meals that we had there. And I realized that the only difference between the first year and the second year, it was in the first year, I complained all the time. And the second year, I was actually more grateful, right? So this morning, church, we're going to talk about complaining and gratitude, right? 
So turn with me, if you will. We're going to start and take a look at what the scripture might have to say about complaining. We're going to start in Romans chapter 8, starting in verses 20. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So as I was getting ready for the sermon, I sat down with you and said, Deidre, why do we complain? Why are we always complaining? It just seems like second nature to everyone. And she had a really great insight. She said, what if we complain because deep down inside, we have a real deep sense that the world is not as it should be, right? It's like we have a spiritual memory of the garden or we have a sense of what heaven is going to be like. So we know that our present reality is nothing like it could be or it should be, right? And this is exactly what this passage in Romans is talking about. Because we live in a really broken world that is under the fall, the curse, right? And so there's a lot of pain and suffering that we experience day to day in our circumstances, in our bodies maybe, you know, uh, sickness, disease, injury, in our relationships. We have a lot of broken relationships. And definitely some people struggle a lot more than others. But we see the struggle. We experience the struggle. And it's so bad that even creation itself is not immune to the fall. And creation itself is groaning. In other words, complaining, <laughs> complaining about the pain and suffering. And I think God gets it. God actually, believe it or not, he wants us to complain. And he wants us to complain to him. So turn with me, Psalm 142. This is what the psalmist says. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, pour your complaint out to the Lord. <laughs> now, the reason why God wants us to complain to him is because ultimately he wants to be in relationship with us, right? He wants us to bring our pain, our suffering, our worries, our fears, our anxieties, our annoyances, he wants us to bring it all to him. He wants us to put our hope and our trust that he and he alone will be our comforter and provider. Amen? <clears throat> all right, let's take a look at what Psalm 33 has to say. This is great. Psalm 33 says, we put our hope in the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, put your hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfeeling love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. The Bible, in fact, gives us some pretty great examples of how to complain, especially in the Psalms. So there's 150 Psalms in the Bible. Of the 150 Psalms, about a third of them are what we call Psalms of laments. In other words, they're prayers of complaining to God. You know, basically complaining, he say law, say laws there, but basically complaining, right? One commentary I read did a great example. He, he listed a bunch of 
of, of uh, psalms of laments just to give us a sense for the kind of complaining prayers there are. So some examples are psalms of sorrow, psalms of anger, fear, longing, confusion, desolation, disappointment, depression. These are all great examples of how to pour your complaints out to God. So you can look those up. Those are great examples that you can use to complain to God. Now, all these prayers of complaints, they're in really stark contrast to another type of complaining that does not lead to life, does not lead to God, actually just the opposite. It leads away from God. And the Bible calls this type of complaining grumbling. So turn with me to Philippians. Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, do everything without grumbling. Turn to your neighbor and say, do everything neighbor without grumbling. Yeah, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in the warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, the main difference between complaining and grumbling, I think, is that complaining is when we bring our pain to God, right? Whereas grumbling is really complaining about God. You see the difference? Complaining to God versus complaining about God. Grumbling is saying, God doesn't care, or God isn't good enough, or God isn't strong enough, because if he was, our situation would be different, right? Think the Israelites in the desert, right? So God rescues the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, brings them out, provides for them, gives them manna from heaven, provides their daily needs, throws them some quail, right? And so God is providing for them. But they're not complaining about their situation. They're complaining about God. God, you don't care. God, we would have been better left, you know, in Egypt. You're not good enough. If we were, we wouldn't be in this situation, right? So they're complaining about God. When we grumble, we're essentially saying that we have no faith in God or that nothing is really going to change, right? Often when we grumble... I think that we actually don't really want things to change, right? Because what we really want to do is we like to wallow, right? We like to wallow in our self-pity or our anger or our self-righteousness, right? That's a good one, self-righteousness, right? And all grumbling does, however, is in the end, it just leads us to grumble more. It sends us down this downward spiral path towards negativity, and it ultimately just distances us from God. What I find really interesting about this passage, too, is that it seems to be saying that grumbling isn't just bad, but it's really common, right? Everyone does it, and it's a sin that everyone does. In fact, it's so common that when we don't do it, we stand out. We actually stand out to the world as a witness when we don't grumble because it's so common. And so we can stand out like stars in the skies, it says. I think that's really interesting. So turn to me to Psalm 73. It's going to be on the screen again. I really like this psalm because I think this psalm is a great example of the song of, psalm of lament. And it's, it's a great, it's keeping it real, right? The psalmist here is struggling a lot with grumbling. And, and luckily, he, he pulls out in the end. But he's struggling a lot. So this is what he says. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. I was almost gone. Right? This is full-on complaining here, right? This is wallowing in self-pity. God loves everyone but me, right? For I envied the proud, 
When I saw them prosper despite their wickedness, they seemed to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. Who knows, maybe the psalmist himself is struggling with pain, right? Going through something in his body. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff, speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens. Their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply, right? This is full-on bitterness here, right? Bitterness, indignation, envy. You know, we know, of course, the grass is always greener on their side, right? But in the moment, he can't see that. He's just, he's so filled with the injustice of the situation. But fortunately, he's able to pull through. He's able to hold on to his faith still. So we're going to jump to verse 21. Then I realized that my heart was bitter. He comes to that realization. I was all torn up inside, right? He was bitter against God, bitter against other people. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. Yeah? And you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything in the earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. Amen? Let me give you an example, not my not my brightest moment here, where I found myself grumbling a lot. So as those of you who have middle school students here know, for those of you who are middle school students, any middle school students here right now? Raise your hand. Middle school students? Yeah, I've got a few. Awesome. Yay, shout out to middle school. So I love you guys. Let me tell you the thing that drives me the most crazy about Sunday school. No, it's not you. <laughs> what drives me the most crazy um, about teaching middle school Sunday school is actually the curriculum that we use. It is just awful. There are some really good aspects of it. I love it. Of course, you know, the kids don't know this. It's all behind closed doors. And there's some great aspects of it. But I have to tell you, sometimes it just seems like this curriculum is written by people who have never taught anything to anyone, <laughs> for real. I mean, um, those of you who are educators know that when you put together a lesson plan, you have an objective, right? What do I want my students to take from this lesson? Well, this curriculum seems to have multiple objectives, no way to connect the objectives. Oftentimes, there's activities they want you to do with the kids. They don't relate at all to the lesson plan, all right? They've got additional scriptures that are supposed to support the main scripture. They don't support the main scripture. They go down completely different paths, down rabbit trails. There are discussion questions that they want you to ask. When you read the discussion questions, you think, has this person even read the main scripture? What's the point of these questions, right? It's just, it's just mind-boggling. It's just, it just drives me crazy. And the first time I had to prepare the lesson, no joke, it took me the entire day to prepare an hour lesson. And the reason why is because I spent the whole day convinced that somehow I just wasn't getting the lesson plan, right? And so I, I tried to make it all work out, 
and it just wasn't working out. And I finally, before dinner, I said, forget about this. I'm just going to write my own lesson plan for, for this, for the Sunday school. And after that, I dreaded when I had to leave Sunday school because I had to, um, deal with this curriculum. And, and Deidre knows because every time it was my turn to leave, I go, ah, yeah, yeah, these people are terrible. They don't know what they're doing. They're dead. And, um, and honestly, you know, um, I complained a lot. I never brought it to God. And I actually just didn't believe that the curriculum was going to change, my heart was going to change, and I kind of liked feeling really self-righteous about it, right? <laughs> I can do this curriculum better than these professionals can, right? <laughs> you know, that's the way I was feeling. But I realized that this was probably not the right thing because the downside was that even though I loved teaching Sunday school, I just felt like this whole curriculum was tainting my experience of Sunday school. And also, essentially, what I was doing was I was tearing down other people, right? I was really cursing all these people who probably, in their hearts, were trying to do the right thing, right? They were trying to love God. They were trying to share about God to kids. And here I was tearing them down. They would never know, but I would know, and God would know. And so I was feeling really bad about it. And it was kind of like I was putting these bad seeds in my heart. And as it was growing, it was growing into something really ugly that I didn't want to I didn't really like about myself, right? So that's what grumbling does, right? It feels good in the moment, but really it just makes you feel worse in the end, and it makes things worse, and nothing really changes, right? And I was thinking, why do we do it? If at least it's such a bad outcome, why do we do it? And I was sitting on the couch thinking about that. I was eating Doritos one day. <clears throat> and I, I looked at my Dorito, and I said, you know, grumbling is a sin, and it's like eating Doritos, right? <laughs> because you know Doritos are bad for you, right? Who, who doesn't know that Doritos are bad for you, right? <laughs> I got someone raising their hand in the back. <laughs> so Doritos are, I'm sorry, Doritos are bad for you. <laughs> you know, um, they're designed to have the all, you know, the, the just the, the perfect combination of salt, fat, and sugar. So that when you eat one, you can't just stop at one. You have to eat another one, right? And before you realize it, you've eaten the whole bag, right? And then you're lying on the couch. You feel terrible about yourself. You feel terrible in your stomach. You just are lying there with Dorito regret, right? (laughs) It's just really bad, right? And that's what sin is like, right? You just can't stop at one. It tastes so good when you do it. And you keep doing it and doing it. But in the end, you realize it's just not going to lead you to the place you want to go, right? It just sends you down this really bad path, downward spiral of negativity, right? And just like the Poconos, right? I just kept complaining, and it seemed like the food kept getting worse and worse for some reason, even though the food was probably the same, right? So we're going to do a little exercise together. It's your turn now. I want you to take a, take a second now. I want you to think. Close your eyes if you want. Think about something or someone that you always grumble about with some regularity, all right? Maybe it's a particular, you know, people are going, oh, don't make me do this. <laughs> Maybe it's a particular person, right? Your boss, your coworker, your spouse, your roommate, whoever it might be. Some, someone that they, they push your button in some way, and you always complain about it. You grumble. You might curse them, you know? Maybe it's the traffic, right? I'm, this, is a, this is a hard one for me. You know, especially not growing up in Boston, not to grumble about Boston drivers. I just heard that 
uh, Boston was ranked the number one worst rush hour traffic in the country, right? <laughs> so not, not difficult not to grumble about traffic. Maybe it's the weather, right? It's easy to, to complain about the weather. Maybe it's politics, right? Maybe it's a particular politician, we won't name who, that really always gets your goat, right? <laughs> All right, so think about it. I'll give you a couple seconds. Think about what it is or who it is that you always grumble about. All right. We're going to do, I'm going to actually workshop it with you. And I'm going to give you three steps to a grumble-free life. How's that? Three steps to a grumble-free life. And I'm going to condense it down into an acronym. G-O-D. God. That sounds good, right? So G stands for give thanks. O stands for offer to God. And D stands for discern what God is telling you. All right? So let's, let's go through this. So giving thanks. First of all, the most important weapon that we can have against grumbling is actually gratitude, believe it or not. Practicing gratitude on a daily basis, I believe, will really help to eliminate the vast majority of grumbling that you're going to have. Why is that? I've got three reasons. The first reason, this is amazing, there is incredible research that is looking at the relationship between uh, gratitude and your brain, so the neuroscience of gratitude. Believe it or not, that we express gratitude no matter how small, you know. Thank you, God, that I'm walking. Thank you, God, that the sun is out. No matter how small it is, just the act of expressing gratitude actually helps to rewire your brain, makes makes you happier, right? So um, the more that you express gratitude, the happier you'll be. So there's scientific proof that shows that grateful people are happier people. Amen? Okay, I'm going to pause now. We're going to let the Sunday school go, and, uh, and then we'll continue. So thank you, Sunday schoolers. There's a happy ending to the story. Don't worry. The second reason why practicing gratitude helps to eliminate grumbling is that when we practice gratitude, we remember. We remember that God is good and he's done amazing things in our lives. We can tend to have spiritual amnesia, right, just like the Israelites. We forget that God has done great things for us. God is good. He's done great things, right? So gratitude helps us to keep God's goodness front and center in our memories. And the last thing that gratitude does is it helps to reorient our perspective, particularly if in the moment you're being triggered by someone or something that just makes you want to grumble and complain and lash out, that if we're able to pause before that grumbling comes out of our mouth, and instead if we just counteract that with some type of gratitude, right? You know, uh, whoever's complain or whoever's bothering us, is there something that we can say to express gratitude for that person that we like about that person? Or in the situation, is there some way that we can think about what is the good side of that situation, right? So if we can practice that gratitude, it helps to reorient our perspective, particularly in the moment. It helps to redirect us, okay? So no wonder Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you 
in Jesus Christ. Right? Amen? During our consecration, Bishop has been encouraging us to read a book called Reset. I don't know if you guys have all gotten this book, Reset, 20 Ways to a Consistent Prayer Life. One of the ways in which the book encourages us to experience fresh prayers by giving thanks. And the book says that when we pray, we should always start off our prayers by thanking God. That's the very first thing we should do. And it, it, it says that based on Psalm 100, which says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his course with praise. In other words, enter into your time with God with thanksgiving and praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So each day, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a spiritual practice every single day where we are actually going to pray to God. And as we pray to God, we're going to start off by giving him thanks. And here are some things that I'm going to suggest that you can be thankful for. Number one, think of three small things that you're grateful for today, no matter how small. Again, remember I said it doesn't matter how big or small it is. Just the act of actually expressing gratitude is what's important, okay? So think of three things that you want to offer God, that you want to say thank you, God, for these three things. Number two, one thing that you're grateful for about God, all right? God, thank you, God, that you are a just God. Thank you, God, that you're a good God. Thank you, God, that you're a healing God. Whatever it is, just thank God for one thing. Number three, one thing you're grateful for about someone else in your life that's significant. Your spouse, you know, a parent, a roommate, bishop, whoever it might be. Just think of one thing that you're grateful for about that person. And last, one thing you're grateful for about yourself, right? This is also just as important. This will help to eliminate any negative thoughts that you might be thinking about yourself, all right? So in your prayer time with God, give him thanks and thank him for these four different things, all right? Now, after you've given, it, given thanks to God, the second thing you're going to do is you're going to offer your complaint to God. It's amazing how many times we complain to God. It's amazing how many times we complain, we don't ever bring it to God, right? Remember, God wants us to bring our complaints to him. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to bring our complaints to him. He wants us to have hope and trust that he's for us and not against us, right? After we bring it to God, then is the last point. Discern what God is trying to tell you. And often, when we complain, we bring it to God, but then we don't listen, right? It's a one-way conversation. We're talking and talking and talking. We forget that God actually wants to talk back to us, right? So we have to leave open the space to hear from God. And in trying to discern what God is trying to tell you, we have to figure out, is God saying, trust me, I got this? Or maybe God is saying, no, actually, I've got something for you to do. You've got to do something, whether it's an action or maybe it's whether changing your own heart attitude about something. But God God oftentimes will speak back to you and tell you what he wants you to do. So in my example of the middle school curriculum and complaining about it, I realized that I needed to change, so I followed these three steps. And I, uh, I first took some time to think about what are all the things that I'm grateful for about this curriculum. And then I started to offer prayers of thanksgiving as well as blessing because God knows I cursed them enough. <laughs> I've got to bless them now. So my prayers went something like this. God, thank you so much for these people who wrote the curriculum. Thank you so much for their heart for Jesus. Thank you that they want to share it with other kids, right? Thank you, God, for the videos. Every single week we show these videos that they make that goes with the lesson plan, and the kids love it. They get so excited when we show the video. They get a lot out of it. Thank you, God, for that. Those, those videos are made very well. 
thank you, God, for how the curriculum structures it overall. It's great how it goes through the whole Bible, touching on all the key stories and lessons that, that, that are great to pull out of the Bible. Just thank you for that. So it kind of just went on and on like that. And after I was grateful, then I offered my complaint to God. I said, God, thank you for this curriculum. Help me to know how I can better appreciate it, because I'm having a hard time here. You know, Help me to know how I can feel like it's working for me and not against me, right? And even in that moment, even as I brought it to God, I felt like God was already answering my prayers, and he was already giving me some insights. And the first insight he gave me was, you know, Danny, I felt like he was saying, he was saying, Danny, yes, the curriculum is not the great. I will concede you that. Yes, definitely. But you know what? There's some good things of it, too. It seems like you really like the video. You really like the main scripture. Start with that. Every single week, when you have to lead the lesson, start with that and ask me, and I'll tell you what to say. I said, deal. So I tried that. You know, I took the, 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 the main scripture, <clears throat> the video. I said, God, what do you want me to, to teach out of this? And God would give me a word. A lot of times, it coincided exactly with what the curriculum said. Sometimes it didn't. Um, but then I felt like God was saying, whatever happens, just take whatever the curriculum can give you. And if it's not helpful, just let it go. Let it roll off your back. There's no worries. And so I just kept a very open hand about it. And where I could see, I could sort of take things from the curriculum, I took it. Where um, it wasn't helpful, I just let it roll off my back. I didn't criticize it. I just said, okay, it's not helpful. I'm not going to worry about it. And I just felt like God let me release all of my anger and self-righteousness, right? And he just softened my heart. And I was just holding very loosely to the curriculum. And I also felt like God was saying, this is another interesting insight. He said, you know, you had a really bad experience that first time you led that lesson. And I think that you're holding on to this fear that you're wasting your time, right? And so I want to let you know that you're not wasting your time. In fact, this is going to be just as effective and as efficient as before. And as I was, you know, after that, every single time I'd prepare the lesson, you know, the amount of time that it would take me to actually prepare the lesson was probably no more time than if I actually used an actual curriculum, right? And so I realized that, hey, God actually redeemed that as well. And I wasn't wasting my time. And I really felt like God has allowed me to enjoy teaching Sunday school without being bothered by the curriculum. So it's really been awesome. It's been awesome for me to do that. So I've been really enjoying that. So um, we're going to take a minute right now, and I want you to start thinking about the complaint that you had come up with in your mind. And I want you to start applying the three steps. So take a moment now. You can write it down or think about it. I'm going to give you a moment to think about all the things that you're grateful for about that particular situation or that particular person. And if you have time, offer to God. Offer your complaint to God. And even right now, in this moment here, see if God is actually speaking to you. I'll give everyone one minute to do that. Ten more seconds.
Okay. Um, now, that wasn't a lot of time. And definitely, for really bad complaints, it might take a lot longer. But was there anyone here who felt like God was already doing something in your heart or sharing something with you that you even might be willing to share? I know it's very vulnerable. It's okay if you don't want to. But at least raise your hand. Let me know. Did God even just reveal anything to you, or did God start to soften your heart in some way? Amen. Amen. Would anybody be willing to just share really quickly? I know it's a lot to ask, and it's okay if you don't. Okay. Thank you. Um, Sometimes, well, what God is really showing me, mine is about a person in the situation, and, like, it's been so, uh, like, oncoming, just ongoing, that... Um, it's been hard to see the the will of God, like even in that situation, right? And so, like even with this, even now, God just reminded me that He's also training me in that situation, you know, because like I was praying God for patience and all of that, so <laughs> might as well be patient now. <laughs> so, yeah, and also showing me what's good. It was it was good to take a minute to think about it, and then God was showing me like the good qualities, and the, the first thing that stood out to me about that person was that person's love for God, and to me that was like more than enough to be patient with that person. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, I didn't give you a lot of time, right? So this could take actually quite some time, and it would be good to process this. And this is what I would encourage you to do. Uh, In your small groups this week, process this, talk about this, or spend some time and go through the three steps and figure out how to do it. If you're not in a small group, it's a great opportunity to be in a small group. During small groups, yes. During the consecration, we've got five more weeks of this Lenten season, this consecration period of time. And so even if it's just for five weeks, press into God. You know, this is a time when God is really going to be moving because as a whole church, we're pressing into God. We're asking God to reveal himself, to give us an encounter, right? And the best way to do that is to do that in the company of other believers. And so if you're not in a small group, go downstairs after the service. And the info table, there's something called our Spice Hub, all right? That's our info table. And they can help you get plugged into a small group. And even if it's just for this five weeks, do an experiment. Five weeks, go to a small group, talk about thanksgiving, gratitude. Talk about how God can help you to move past your grumbling. And if you feel like you're bringing it to God, he's not answering you, or this is just a really difficult situation or a very difficult person, don't lose heart, right? Because remember, the most important thing at the end is that ultimately you're bringing your complaints to God. That's the most important thing. You're bringing what's bothering you, what is, what's so painful to you, you're bringing it to God, and you are trusting that God is good, that he is for you and not against you, and that ultimately God is our ultimate comforter and provider. Amen? Okay, let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, for our lives. We thank you for adding another day to our lives. We thank you for all the good things in our lives. And I pray for everyone here, Lord, help us to have eyes to see, ears to see, 
how you are a good God, how you are doing good things in our lives. Help us never to cease praising you and giving you thanks in every single circumstance, Lord. As we do that, I pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts, move in our minds, move in our lives, transform us, transform our situations, transform the people around us. Lord, give us hope, give us trust, give us faith that you are a good God. You are for us and not against us. In Jesus' name, amen.